The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Show notes for this episode and a lot of other fun stuff can be found at www.uncontrolledairspace.com. Both Punxsutawney Phil and the UCAP gang are peeking out to see if it's safe. They compare notes on unusual fly-ins they've known, answer some serious listener mail, and give a wing rock to the PPSEL who lived out every private pilot's dream. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 14, Course Correction. Welcome, everyone, uh, to this episode, what, episode number 14 of Uncontrolled Airspace. I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, we're back again for uh, another episode, another chance to do some online hangar flying. Uh, with us uh, once again, Dave Higdon from Wichita, Kansas. Dave is an aviation photographer and the, one of the senior editors of Kit Plane Magazine. He was also a, a, the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. How you doing, Dave? Doing great today. How's everybody out there? Hope now, you're getting plenty of air time this winter. Yeah. Now you're doing, just so everyone knows, you're actually doing some computer maintenance stuff uh, in your home office or whatever. These, so you're actually on a regular telephone connection. This yeah, we had to had to fall back to uh, older technology because uh, uh, we're in the process of vacating a business space and setting our uh, operation back up in space we used to occupy. So uh, we uh, lost. We had the power turned off to the old space yesterday, which renders all the computers and the wireless connection kind of useless. Uh, it's funny; the, none of that stuff hums long without trons. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm uh, in, in the old office back behind the house in Wichita, but on a landline, and uh, we'll see how that works. Alexander Graham Bell got it pretty good the first time, and it. Seem to work okay. Well, you seem to sound fine, so I don't think it's going to be a problem. Also with us this morning, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from Springfield, Virginia. Jeb, of course, a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. Morning, Jeb. Good morning, folks. Good morning, Jack and Dave. Hope everybody's warm and cozy. Yeah, so we're, we're deep into the midst of... Uh, of of winter here it's uh, it finally turned winter yeah it looks like it's looking like snow up here um although we got like a a a, a forecast of two inches yesterday morning and then we all woke up to perfectly clear blue skies and no snow don't at you all, hate but, when that happens yeah man i just i was telling people i'd take that snowstorm any day of the of the winter so uh-huh um and uh, so and and it, I don't know whether we talk about weather too much, but just real quickly. So, what's going on in you guys' part of the country here? Is it getting any signs of spring yet? I saw a whole flock of robins yesterday. I was shocked. Really? Yeah, I, w- I was just driving down the road and yeah, I saw sure and I go, "What in the world? That's a bunch of robins." I, so I don't know. Maybe there's hope. Maybe the, maybe spring will arrive. Huh? Well, uh, we were we were told to expect uh, up to an inch uh, on Tuesday. Uh, during a snowstorm that wasn't supposed to arrive until midday Wednesday. Uh, when the sun came up Wednesday, it was already uh, almost an inch deep on the ground, and we got uh, somewhere close to four. So uh, we've had our third significant uh, snowfall in uh, in less than a month, all of them in January. Kind of unusual for us, but uh, fortunately most of the really good runways around here have really good snow removal, so everything should be back up and operating at least uh, 60% capacity today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's good. We, we've, only gotten maybe, we've only maybe gotten an inch and a half around here, and uh, um, the, the Manassas Airport anyway plowed it quickly and, and uh, no real drifts and no ice in front of my hangar, so that's all, that's all good. Now a little bit later in this podcast, I think we're going to talk for at least a few minutes about about an airport that actually depends on the winter weather. But we'll come back. That's yep. a little teaser. Yep. We'll come back to that <laughs> later on. Uh, what's the big news? Uh, the, we're going to talk a little bit more about grassroots flying this episode, but uh, there is one bit of national news that we want to touch on real quickly, and that is uh, there's been some some progress, some changes in the whole uh, age 60 retirement requirement. Uh, exactly who wants to right. jump in on this one? Um, this week. Um um, Tuesday, actually, 
Um, Administrator Blakey at the FAA went down to the National Press Club here in Washington and uh, announced that uh, the FAA was going to issue a proposed rulemaking to uh, essentially do away with the age 60 rule and make it an age 65 rule. Uh, it's not a done deal yet and won't be probably until later in the year, but uh, it's the first positive uh, uh, indication from the FAA that they are uh, uh, indeed willing to uh, revisit the age 60 rule and uh, uh, increase it uh, to uh, age 65. Um, a lot of people over the years have complained about the age 60 rule, that it's arbitrary and uh, um, doesn't really reflect um, uh, health monitoring improvements that have occurred since uh, the 1950s when the rule was first put into effect. The FAA seems to be listening to those complaints finally and uh, is, is moving forward. I think there's a lot of ramifications, though, uh, both good and bad for the industry, um, and we'll talk about those in a moment. Now, there's a funny window, though, right? So it hasn't taken effect yet, am I correct? No. It, it, in fact, a formal proposal hasn't even been published. Uh, the administrator simply put, every, put the industry on notice Tuesday that uh, the FAA would be moving forward on this policy change. Um, it's, it's not over till it's over, but uh, it's clear that the FAA uh, is uh, of the mindset to change this rule, as as uh, Ms. Blakey outlined, and uh, we'll be moving forward uh, in the very near future. Yeah. yeah. First comes a notice of proposed rulemaking, and they'll accept comments from the uh, from the uh, public at large uh, for a set period of time. Uh, generally, sixty days is, is fairly normal for major rule changes. Uh, then they'll sit down and they'll go through all the uh, comments and come up with their own answers to the comments and uh, then publish uh, a final rule that says, despite what some of you said or because of what some of you said, we're going ahead with it this way. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, you know, there's going to be a bunch of pilots kind of get caught in a, in a window here where uh, they're going to turn 60 while this, rule is percolating through the system. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's what I was sort of alluding to. It's sort of a reverse grandfather clause. Huh, right. Get it, grandfather? Yeah, it, it, uh, and they're going to be excluded from yuck, working yuck. to 65 because they turned 60 before the rule went into effect. So anyways, well, I think that's, so that's the story, right? Yay, FAA, good job, uh, and... Uh, you know. There's a couple of there's a couple of backstories. One of which uh, we just touched on, going back uh, uh, into last year, um, the FAA put together what they call an aviation rulemaking committee, which is essentially an industry group designed to tackle uh, one issue or another. In this case, it was of course the H60 rule. Um, I don't have at hand um, the the organizations and individuals who comprise that ARC, that aviation rulemaking committee. But uh, they met for a couple of months. I think they were convened in uh, September and and uh, issued a final report in November. Um, but basically, the ARC punted. They could not make any recommendations, formal or otherwise, to oh, the they FAA. Were pretty, pretty yeah, they, they pretty pretty lame. Down the middle. Yeah, pretty pretty lame uh, as far as an ARC is concerned. The only recommendation that they could come up with was to to ask or suggest to the FAA that any future rule change on age 60 not be retroactive. In other words, uh, uh, presuming the FAA acts to uh, raise the mandatory retirement age from 60 to 65, pilots who are, say, 63 uh, should not, uh, under this recommendation, uh, be put back into the uh, uh, into the flight crew. Um, there's a, probably some good reasons, probably some bad reasons uh, for doing that, but uh, it does not appear at this point. You know, it's all it's not over till it's over, uh, but it does not appear right now that um, any rule change uh, will be retroactive. In other words, if if uh, you're an airline pilot listening to this podcast, and uh, you retired two years ago. Doesn't mean you'll get your job back. Yeah. So, okay. Well, let's move on here. Uh, so let's go to 
sort of a completely different aspect. I was going to say the other end of the spectrum of aviation uh, is that EAA held their ski plane fly-in, their annual uh, uh, snow fly-in uh, in, uh, in, at uh, Pioneer Airport this past weekend. And it was, although I wasn't able to attend, apparently it was a big success. They had like a couple hundred people there. They had... Uh, uh, a couple dozen airplanes on skis flew in, and uh, they thought they would have had more, but there was some weather to the west. Uh, uh, that has always sounded to me like a really cool fly-in. I've always, you know, every year I put it on my calendar saying, I want to go this year. And, and, uh, and weather to the west sounds just like Oshkosh, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> July, January, same thing, right? That's yeah. right, that's right. Um, so that sounds like a cool, if you go to the EAA website, uh, eaa.org, uh, if you go in the next couple of days, there's a, a link on their front page, and otherwise you can probably dig for it and find, uh, there's some really cool pictures of uh, the airplanes on skis flying in and landing and, and, uh, and parked on the, on the snow. Uh, we're, at, really, we're really thrilled for uh, the EAA folks that uh, yeah. they actually had snow for a ski plane fly-in this yeah. year. In uh, January of '06. Uh, it was uncharacteristically warm and uncharacteristically snow-free when the ski plane fly-in rolled around. So they uh, they still had a party. They watched movies. Uh, speaking of parties, the uh, one of the things that went on in in tangent with the uh, with the ski plane fly-in was a birthday party for Audrey Pobrezny, wife of uh, founder Paul Pobrezny. Uh, so they had a big chili party in one of the hangars over at Pioneer. Uh huh. Oh, cool. And yeah, there's a great there's a great picture of Audrey on the after, website. And uh, yeah, there is. And this all occurred just a few days after the Experimental Aircraft Association uh, uh, made note of its uh, 54th birthday. Uh, a uh, our 53rd birthday, I guess. 50, it be. Turns 54. Turns 54. Yeah. They uh, they started in. Uh, do the math. Do the math. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> how long have you done since? How long since you've done a time speed distance calculation here? Obviously, your arithmetic oh, yeah. is a little well, weak. Well, that's what happens when you just turn fifty-seven. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, the EAA celebrated their birthday, and uh, it's it's pretty impressive that they've you know been doing their thing for so long, and they're they're still so close to their original mission. Uh, they they've really have. I mean, although they've kind of matured and 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 you know embrace a perhaps a wider field these days in many ways they're still with their original mission I, I don't have it in front of me here but I was reading their mission statement from from whatever it was 53 52 and uh, it still is their mission statement now it still works to this day about innovating and making it possible to build airplanes and um, you know, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm an unabashed EAA fan. Uh, I make yeah. no, no uh, apologies. It, it's, oh, it, it's, it's, it's also very it. interesting to, to go back and and look at what would pass for technical articles from that era. What would pass for um, cutting edge, leading edge, uh, home built aircraft from that era, and compare them to what we have today, and uh, look at the just stark progress made eaa has to take a great deal of credit for that and uh our, our hats are off to them um uh, eaa is uh, clearly a class class organization in this industry and uh, uh we congratulate them on hanging together for 54 years yeah now reading about the uh, snow plane the ski plane flying got me to thinking about other sort of non-standard i mean there's there are hundreds of pancake fly-ins and, and they're terrific events and lots of fun and great camaraderie and chances to hang or fly. But it got me to thinking about some of the sort of non-standard fly-ins that I've heard about and some of which I've attended around the country. For example, and I alluded to this a few minutes ago, there's a fly-in that happens some years and and, and um, up here in New England on Lake Winnipesaukee um, in an area of Lake Winnipesaukee called Alton Bay. Uh, and uh, they actually create a runway out on the ice of Lake Winnipesaukee. And, uh, you know, there are probably other places around the country where they make ice runways. Um, this one's notable to me because it's nearby. Um, I also am kind of entertained by the fact that the Alton Bay ice runway is actually on the charts um, as a, a, an actual public uh, a landing place. And uh, they, uh, and then the, the sort of signature of the season for them uh, is that they, the EAA chapter that's based up in that area uh, holds a fly-in 
uh, every winter uh, where you land out on the ice and you can get a sticker you know I landed on the ice and uh, uh, and then you know they do what you what you do at at, uh, at uh, fly-ins but they do it out on the ice it's pretty cool that if you cool. go to um, and now I'm I'll put this in the show notes but it's um, the FBO which is actually based at Rochester's Skyhaven Airport um, is called um, Ossipi Aviation um, I apologize for not having the URL handy, but they sort of manage um, the the ice runway, and they're the ones that you go to for for updates on. The, especially in these days of climate change and global warming, um, it's not possible to to create the ice runway in a safe way every year. And so I think they didn't do it last year. But last I checked, they're hoping to do it this year. So I think that's kind of a cool um, off the beaten path. Uh, uh, fly-in. Uh, do you guys know, Dave, you seem to be pretty tuned into the whole fly-in community. Are there some funky fly-ins that happen out in your part of the world? Oh, there's uh, a monthly fly-in at Ponca City, Oklahoma. It's a breakfast fly-in, uh, first Saturday of the month. Uh, so the, this coming Saturday will be the the day. It's rain or shine. They have an ILS at Ponca, so they can, uh, they can draw a pretty good crowd on even a lousy, rainy day. Uh, there's uh, a, a very active chapter of the Commemorative Air Force here in Wichita that has a number of events of its own, and one of them is uh, is coming up a little later this year in uh, uh, Newton, Kansas, about 20 miles up the road from Wichita, called the Wings of Remembrance. Uh, it's a little two-day event to celebrate uh, old warriors, both the mechanical and the human kind. Uh, it's a fly-in that, uh, you know, you get a free breakfast if you fly your own airplane into the show. Uh, it's uh, a lot of fun. You see some not great non-standard aircraft there. Uh, and uh, come Hey, I resemble that remark. I'm sorry. I, I resemble that remark. I have a non-standard yeah, aircraft. And come June in uh, in uh, down in Oklahoma, uh, Bartlesville to be precise, uh, will be the annual biplane expo, uh, staged by the Biplane Association. Uh, it's kind of a spin-off from an EAA chapter that uh, focuses solely on the on the top and bottom wing kind of machines. Uh, Typical uh, crowd down there. They'll have over 200 biplanes show up. Uh, that encompasses everything from really old steermen, like pre-Boeing steermen, uh, to uh, modern home-built biplanes like uh, Starduster and Acroduster, and uh, uh, a little bit of everything in between. Uh, they have some pilot forums, some workshops, uh, a little uh, trade show and fly market. Uh, runs generally Friday through Sunday. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very homey. Uh, there may be 11, 1,200 people on the field at any given time, and they draw a good crowd through. It's always worth the trip to see the old biplanes. Yeah, sounds great. There's a couple other interesting ones up here in New England that I'm familiar with. Um, every fall, there's a, a float plane uh, a flying, a, you know, a, uh, uh, amphibious kind of flying up in uh, Maine, I'm, I'm blank Greenville, I think is what it is, um, and uh, it's a huge event. Uh, it's it attracts all kinds of people, and it's it's kind of a mini sun and fun Oshkosh kind of thing where people go up and camp by the side of the by the by the side of the runway, and you know, and it's kind of split between a lake and a nearby airport. And um, that one seems like a lot of fun. I've never had a chance to go to that one. One that I do go to on a regular basis, though, uh, is uh, here uh, just just about. A, two miles in from the ocean in New Hampshire um, in a town called Greenland they do an ultralight fly-in every summer every in July um, that's uh, a week and a half long um, uh, very much in a sort of a Oshkosh sun and, con- sun and fun format um, where there's camping and uh, all everybody flies in their ultralights and they camp and some conventional aircraft come in too and uh, um, on, it takes place on a, on, on a guy's private grass strip uh, that he donates to the uh, local ultralight chapter and uh, that's a lot of fun uh, I think it's called the Yankee Ultralight Fly-In, and it's in July. And uh, that one's notable for me because the, this grass strip, I mean, it's a, and it's a fairly long runway. It, it has the biggest hill at the beginning of that runway that I've ever seen on a runway. I mean, it's really a dramatic hill. It would be difficult to walk up this hill. And, uh, of course, that means the bias is towards 
taking off down the hill and, and landing <laughs> up the hill. And, and you, these airplanes taxi up this pretty notable hill on this grass taxiway, and they get to the top of the hill, and they basically you know roll down the hill at full power and, and, and get airborne before they even reach the bottom of the hill, which is not even a quarter of the way along the runway. It's a fun thing. It sounds like, it sounds like a hang gliding launch. Uh, yeah. it, you know, it's not it's not dissimilar to that from from what I've seen. So, uh, the Yankee Ultralight Fly-In is another fun fly-in. To our listeners out there, um, if you folks know about some fun uh, fly-ins that go around the country, and I'm sure there's lots of them, we would love to hear about them. Send us an email or uh, or call our listener line and uh, leave us a little voicemail uh, telling us about some of the unusual fly-ins that you're familiar with. Um, we'd love to announce upcoming fly-ins, but we'd especially love to hear about fly-ins that have happened. Uh, tell us about the the, the flying activities and community that are going on in your part of the country. Absolutely. So we got mail this week. We love we to get mail. mail. We love to get mail. Uh, and, and we're not unhappy with this mail, we, although it was... A, we it, like to get checks in the mail, too, but yeah, that's well. okay. But we got some feedback this week um, that uh, was uh, very good feedback, and, and we've learned something from it, and we wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, we're only going to talk about it for a few minutes because we feel like talking about the subject might be as bad as what we did. Anyways, regular listeners of this podcast know that, that the three of us have some strong feelings about a couple of national aviation issues here in the U.S., and we've talked a lot about things like user fees and other federal regulation on general aviation, and, and we think these are important issues. Uh, ones that may fundamentally change flying in the United States. But this past week, we got a few emails taking us to task for the amount of time we've devoted on the podcast to these subjects and also to the tone we've taken in some of these discussions. And we have to admit, we have to agree, that we may have overdone it a little bit, especially in the past couple of episodes. And we appreciate the feedback that, that these listeners uh, gave us uh, and, and kind of giving us a little bit of a... Of a of a of a vector, if you will, to <laughs> uh, yeah. to uh, uh, you know, um, we're going to continue to talk about these things, but but we're going to try to tone it down a little bit and and keep it in its proper perspective. Um, and uh, I mean, what do you guys have to add about this? Uh, well, I, I first of all would would echo Jack uh, your comment. We we are extremely grateful for the feedback. We. Uh, uh, always want to know uh, what our listeners uh, think about what we have to say. We always want to know how our listeners think we might improve the podcast. Um, occasionally, we talk a little bit too much inside baseball and uh, uh, may or may not be of interest to our listeners. That's the kind of feedback we need to have. And, uh, uh, you know, keep those cards and letters coming in. I think, as, as Jack again correctly notes, um, these are important issues, uh, user fees, security, um, pricing of uh, fuel, etc., uh, are all very important issues for the health and, and viability of general aviation. Uh, but we certainly can't spend too much time on them. We can certainly um, be running around like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling when in actuality, you know, we're not doing so bad, all things considered. Uh, uh, airplanes are selling like hotcakes. People are flying. Um, safety's improving. Uh, there's a lot of positive things uh, going on in general aviation these days, and we'll talk about some more of them later in this podcast and in subsequent episodes. And but, I, I, uh, I, I got to echo Jeb. The, yeah. there's, there's a lot going right in GA right now. Uh, there's the potential for things to go terribly wrong for GA if some of these bad ideas take root and turn into actual changes in tax policy or security laws. So uh, as Jack and, and uh, Jeb have both noted, uh, they're important. Uh, proportionality may have been an issue for us. Uh, in some weeks, uh, admittedly, there was just such ripe fodder because of how insane <laughs> some of the things that we were hearing uh, came across. So uh, proportionality is going to be a little bit more the rule than the exception, and uh, yeah. Yeah. we hope that uh, we hope folks that will continue to take us to task when we uh, OD on one direction or another. Uh, but we uh, certainly will continue to. Uh, I think the the word was bash. Continue to bash where appropriate, in proportion to the amount of bashing required. Yeah. 
So today we're trying to talk about some other things, um, and uh, and in the future, as you guys have noted, we're going to try not to rant too much about these other subjects. But as we said, they're important and they're not going to go away. And uh, um, in the meantime, though. We have at least what I believe is an important request of you folks, the listeners out there. Um, the, the emails that we got telling us what you didn't like, those were great. Um, and although we like good, even positive emails too, those are good things too. Um, but whether you send us positive feedback or or negative feedback, we want more of it. Truly, we've said yeah. this before, and it's absolutely true. We want to hear more from you. All right. For example, do you agree that we talk too much about the FA and federal stuff? Do you think our personal politics spill into the podcast? too much um, we'd like we invite all of our listeners to go back through our past podcasts and tell us what subjects you enjoyed and which ones you didn't enjoy you know we're ultimately going to decide what we want to talk about here and we think we have something to contribute in in terms of that selection but your your feedback will help us figure out what's important um, we don't think you need to go back and listen to them all again um, you could simply go back to the website and, and read through the show notes um, and I think that'll jog your memory um, we've been doing this podcast for about six months now um, and the podcast can continue to just be the three of us you know with occasional guests which we're gonna have more guests as a matter of fact um, yeah. and and we could just keep talking about whatever occurs to us but what would make it even better is having all of you out there participate in this online hangar flying too so send us an email uh, if you have a microphone plugged into your computer, record an audio comment and send that to us. Or call our listener line all right, and leave us a voicemail. Uh, the listener line number is on the website. It's just like voicemail. You call. And, and So whether you send us an email or leave a comment in the blog or send us a listener line thing, I mean, we, we may, may or may not use what you send us on the podcast, but we will absolutely read and listen to it all. And your ideas, will become, everything. Yeah, your ideas will become part of the conversation here. We're serious. Send us feedback. Um, and that's more probably more than enough said on the whole subject. Another story this past week um, is uh, there's an aspect of the story that I think is very cool. Let me preface this by saying that it is a, it is at its heart a tragic story, and 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 we our hearts go out to to those hurt the the, the captain of the Continental flight who was incapacitated and ultimately died um, during a flight recently, uh, and the second uh, the first officer. Um, successfully, um, as you would expect. I mean, there was really nothing. I mean, at the heart of it, this is not an incredibly notable story. Um, it's a very sad story, but um, the system worked exactly the way it's supposed to. The part of the story that I think is particularly cool is the fact that um, uh, that on board that flight as a passenger was a 150-hour pi private pilot um, who uh, stepped forward and said, I'm here if I can help. And uh, the first officer uh, took advantage of this and basically put him in the right seat to use him as another pair of hands and another pair of eyes. Um, and and this guy, his name is Stephen Brown. Uh, he's the first to admit that he didn't make the difference between life and death on this flight. He was just added a little bit to safety. But I, I just think it's a great testament to everything, to the system of safety in the airlines, um, to the fact that general aviation can make a, a, a contribution to public safety in this way. Um, I think it's a terrific story. I don't know what you guys have to say right. about it. Uh, it's it is. It's interesting, uh, and we talked about this a little bit offline before we started recording this episode. It's interesting in the same space of, of, of a few days, um, we had an episode where a 57-year-old airline pilot dies at the controls, and in the next breath, the FAA comes out with a proposal to, to increase the mandatory retirement age for airline pilots. Uh, one can debate that one until the cows come home. It's perhaps the exception that proves the rule. Uh, but uh, it is a very uh, uh, interesting story. I, I cannot imagine there's not a private pilot out there who has not ridden on an airliner and wondered uh, to himself, to herself, what would happen if something someone up in the cockpit fell ill or, uh, uh, you know, ha had the fish as, as the uh, uh, airplane movie uh, uh, highlighted so well back in the 70s, um, what would happen if, if they needed, in fact, to serve as, as in, in some fashion or some capacity aboard that airliner? Uh, it, it's almost a, a, a Don Quixote episode, but uh, at the same time, it's... Uh, um, 
very uh, enlightening and, and very uh, uh, heartwarming that everything turned out as well as it did. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, it's it's also a story. There, we hear so little about how general aviation helps public safety and helps the community, you know. Um, and that's not because it doesn't happen, because those of us involved know it happens all the time, you know. I mean, I, I it's, one th- the, it's one of the worst told stories yeah. throughout this industry. I mean, I, I always think back to one one great example in my perspective was back uh, in back in 1989 uh, when we had the big earthquake out in California. Um, there was an area of the coast, uh, the area of the Monterey Bay uh, a portion of the coastline that through an odd circumstance of there were only four bridges that kind of connected to this area um, and all four of those bridges became um, disabled during as a result of the earthquake basically this area was shut off from ground transportation for four or five days and a whole bunch of GA pilots based out of Reed Hillview Airport in San Jose put together an airlift and took all sorts of emergency supplies and and you know food and water and so forth down there to help people out all right um, and that's one of, of many many examples examples of where GA, the, the fact that we have a vibrant GA community in this country is a, a public service. It's it there to help people um, when when needed. It's not just recreation. It's not just business travel. It's public safety. And uh, the fact that there was a, a trained pilot on this aircraft, um, you know, on some small level, to some small degree, improved the quality of safety on that flight. And yeah, that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Agreed. No one's suggesting that 150-hour private pilot saved the day, and no one is suggesting that the uh, first officer uh, could not have successfully landed that airplane. Uh, what we are suggesting is that having that pilot aboard and just the fact that there is a vibrant general aviation industry and community in this country made it a much less stressful uh, uh, event, made the outcome that much more predictable. Yeah. Well, and as a segue, it makes me wonder again about the wisdom of the uh, multi-crew pilot license, uh, training for which started a little over a week ago in uh-huh. Asia. Uh, Altion is the training company, and the philosophy here is to accelerate the, the uh, process of training new first officers they train first officers on a syllabus that is entirely uh, oriented to a two-person crew on the flight deck. Uh, these uh, these uh, MPL license holders are not uh, not sent out through the system where they get hours and hours of solo time flying around cross-country. Uh, they're never actually taught to be the sole PIC in the sense that GA pilots are, are, are used to. Uh, it's all cockpit resource management, two-man crew coordination. Uh, makes me wonder what would have happened to an MPL crewed aircraft had the uh, the captain died and had fallen back on a 240-hour first officer uh, fresh off the MPL process who didn't have access to a GA pilot or another airline pilot from the back cabin to come up and help take off some of the load. So uh, well, that's that's exactly right. Um, most of the uh, discussion and, and this this particular program Dave describes, uh, I believe that's either uh, it's either Asian or, or Chinese uh, program, is it not? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the chances of that making uh, chances of that program making it to our shores are slim and none. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean some of our listeners might not be in the future flying on a carrier where the uh, graduates from that program are occupying one of the front seats. Yeah. Um, depending on the program, and, and details are, I think, by uh, uh, necessity a little sketchy, uh, um, some reports have said that uh, graduates of that program would never, <laughs> excuse me, never have soloed uh, an airplane as part of their training. Uh, I find that a l- little bit of a head scratcher myself. I- I'd kind of like to have uh, both occupants up front uh, to have at least once uh, flown an airplane by themselves, at least once been totally responsible and, and trusting of themselves to get that airplane back on the ground with all its major pieces intact. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I understand um, 
the the manpower expenses i understand the uh the high degree of automation in these modern uh airliners these days uh but uh, there is such a thing as airmanship and uh um we saw just in the last few days with this episode of the of the captain dying uh aboard the 757 how uh um how airmanship, uh, how important airmanship can be. Yeah. Before we completely move off the subject of this uh, Continental flight, I wanted to point out that uh, Stephen Brown, the po- private pilot we've been talking about, was interviewed uh, by AvWeb in one of their recent podcasts, and uh, urge everybody to go and take a listen to that. It was, it's a fascinating to hear him tell the story. He's very, very modest about it. He's the first to say that he didn't save the day. Um, uh, he, he likes to think that he helped out a little bit, but it's just you know Jeb alluded to the fact that we all kind of had this fantasy about what if we got to sit in the front, you know, up front, and 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 him telling his version of that story and when it actually happened is is pretty cool. So uh, check Walter out Walter Mitty is alive and well and flying yeah. GA. It, well, uh, yeah, in more than Walter Mitty. I mean, he did it, man. He yeah. was up there and he pushed I, the buttons, you know. And, I sincerely uh, hope he gets at least a free meal and perhaps one or two sex acts out of this. But, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly where I was going with this. <laughs> I was probably going to get vouchers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, My question's a little more mundane. Okay. Um, can he log that time? How does this work? I forget exactly what the rules are now. Well, he's probably not multi-engine rated at 150 hours. Uh, well, but if he is, he could certainly log it as well, SIC. He certainly couldn't. Yeah, I and mean, that's, I guess, my question. Right? Second, uh, second in command time yeah. uh, if he's multi-engine rating, which is doubtful. But uh, yeah. if he's lucky enough to have a first officer moved into the captain's seat, who's a CFI, I hope he got the CFI to sign off his logbook. Exactly. Yeah, that, that would be that would be the ultimate. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. So. Yeah, uh, so seven can five you time the, the, the comment good. section. Uh, help save seven fifty seven. That's deal. right. Uh, the coffee was terrible, but the view was good. There you go. Well, and of course, wait until uh, the FAA violates him for serving as a required crew member without the required tickets. That's, yeah, let's not go there. That's right. Well, <laughs> this is Continental Flight 123 declaring an emergency, so they can do anything they want, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it is so true. One, one other little... Deal. One of the little aside here uh, is uh, in, in the process of researching that story. I, I know I, I I get AvWeb's uh, uh, news uh, emails all the time and and read them religiously. Um, I guess I don't visit the website as often because I just discovered that uh, AvWeb has completely changed around the look of at least their front page, and it's great. I I, uh, yeah. I was very impressed. And uh, that's that's a, that is a recent addition uh, within the last week to ten days or so. It finally went online. Uh, been in the works for for several weeks. Uh, um, it, it's a little bit more cumbersome to, for uh, producers to set up, but uh, uh, I think it's come across. It's come out well. It's been implemented well. It uh, looks good. Yeah. I'm, I'm very pleased. I I have to give them some. You know, I mean, I although I love AvWeb as a, as in, in their coverage of the industry and the stories that they do, and, and uh, I have been a bit critical of their website. Uh, being a web developer myself, I have some standards here, and uh, um, this looks like a great step in the right direction, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm sure it has little to do, little change to their already excellent excellent editorial quality, but as a as a website. I, I like it, and uh, um, everyone should go check it out uh, if you haven't that seen it already. That was Jack Hodgson who said that. H O G D O. Hey, listen, man. I'll, I'll, you know, <laughs> I may not know much about flying, but I know websites. And uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, you got another one because I've got. Here's the next one on my list. Um, so, and I know nothing about this except that Jeb, you mentioned this early on when we were talking, and uh-huh. the, the note that I wrote in my notes here is I wrote NTSB scavenger hunt. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good way to headline that. Uh, the NTSB this week um, put out a press release noting that it was uh, uh, investigating the aftermath of an uncontained engine failure uh, by a, uh, a regional jet. Uh, the uh, let me find the uh, note here. Um, <laughs> NTSB investigating uncontained engine failure in Colorado. Uh, a uh, uh, Canadair uh, regional jet operating as America West Express uh, out of Denver to Phoenix uh, experienced an uncontained engine failure while climbing through 24,000 feet. Left engine cowling fan and other f- components separated 
over uh, uh, mountainous terrain just west, I'm sorry, beginning just south of Woodland Park, Colorado, and running south-southwest to 10 miles southwest of Cripple Creek, Colorado. The NTSB, and I'm sure uh, uh, the operator and the engine manufacturer would very much like to get their hands on these components to see uh, what has failed and why. Um, the NTSB has basically put out a, a, an all-points bulletin on this, and uh, uh, if, if uh, any of our listeners are, happen to live in that area or happen to visit that area, be on the lookout, as they say. You, too, could be a... Uh, um, uh, savior of uh, a future general aviation act or future aviation accident preventing so what do, what do they want you to i mean have they posted a, is there a phone number or a website yeah well there's or? there's uh um, yeah you co contact the uh, teller county colorado sheriff's department area code 719-687-9652 please and, don't touch it but uh just notif notify a local uh local agency where what what you found and where you found it i mean what are the nature of these parts I mean, they're not going to find a smoking turbine sitting on the ground right it's well, no it's it's they're going to find uh some turbine blades or a turbine wheel uh, part of the cowling uh various other parts um uh, there was I'm, I'm not familiar enough with this particular uh episode to uh uh to determine exactly what separated uh, according to the NTSB, the left engine cowling, fan, and other forward components separated. Um, the flight declared an emergency and landed uneventfully at Denver uh, about 5.30 local time. Um, the aircraft itself did sustain minor damage to the fuselage, left engine pylon, duh, and tail section during the engine separation. It's not clear if the entire uh, engine nacelle separated or if it was just the forward portion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so don't touch it, leave it there, call yeah. the phone number, and yeah. they'll come and deal with it. Exactly. No rewards or anything like that. Yeah, I, I don't, no, no rewards listed in the NTSB release, that's for certain. Bragging rights, though. Bragging rights, yeah, yeah. and uh, um, get your name up in lights, maybe. There you go. Yeah. What else is going on? Well, I wanted to give a little shout-out um, um, to uh, some, I, I don't know the gentleman, I, I don't think I know the gentleman anyway, uh, but my mother, uh, of all people, sent me a clipping from the uh, hometown newspaper uh, in her home down in Tifton, Georgia, where I uh, learned to fly and used to live back many, many moons ago. A gentleman by the name of David Coates, um, billed as simply a local general aviation pilot, has uh, said that uh, he's going to uh, uh, explore uh, creating an experimental aviation association chapter there in Tifton. Um, that's um, that's the airport at which I learned to fly. Uh, visit down there quite often, several times each year, and uh, just wanted to give a shout out to Mr. Coates and anyone else down there in that region who uh, uh, are interested in uh, uh, forming an EAA chapter. I think it's a great thing. Um, to the extent possible, I would look forward to uh, to participating in that uh, yeah. with them. Um, uh, more power to them. Uh, uh, if anyone. Um, listening to us uh, is in that area um, Saturday, February 3 at 9 a.m. at the uh, local airport, uh, the main lobby of, of the uh, Tifton uh, Airport. Uh, be there uh, and uh, you too can help form an EAA chapter. Yeah, I, I can't say enough about about participating in local EAA chapters and, and I'm, I'm one of those people and I bet there's lots uh, who was an EAA member for a long time participating by going to Oshkosh or by reading the magazines um, who wasn't a, chap a local chapter uh -huh. member and uh, for, for a few years anyways and when I finally got involved with a local chapter boy there's just a whole new world out there um, yeah. of, of activities and camaraderie and, and safety hints and tips and mm -hmm. people Resources. to go for yeah. $100 hamburgers with and right. uh, you know um, it, it, you know you should I urge everybody find your local EAA chapter or whatever pilot whether it's the 99's or, or, or yeah, whatever pilot organization um, is active at your airport um, join it, up it, 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 that brings up the real point here it, 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 it's Participation is it has its own rewards. Whether you uh, uh, get active with the local EAA chapter, your state pilots association group, uh, a local wing of the commemorative Air Force, uh, or a builders group, if you're working on an experimental aircraft, uh, 
GA has such a great population of real human beings, and the, the only way that you can really, I think, enjoy the full benefits of uh, being part of the general aviation community is to be out there participating, uh, getting involved, getting to know your fellow pilots, uh, in addition to you know, boring holes in the sky and uh, taking long cross-countries with the family. Uh, so regardless of what your tilts are, there's an organization somewhere near you that's geared to, uh, to uh, uh, the pilot's interest, and you could improve your experience and your uh, uh, enjoyment of being in a GA pilot a whole lot by tracking one of those down and uh, going to a meeting and finding a place to uh, to get involved. Yeah. I mean, even if you haven't started your training yet, track down one of those organizations. Uh, Perhaps especially if you haven't started your training yet because we can never have too many mentors and, and never have too many resources uh, as a primary student. Yeah. So, uh, uh, absolutely. Track down other pilots in your area. It'll, it'll just add to your fun and your safety and all that good stuff. What else? We're running out of our allotted time here. Uh, any other short items before we, we finish up here? Well, one thing that I think is uh, is worth mentioning to, to our audience uh, is that uh, a little over a week ago, the FAA uh, issued a notice of proposed rulemaking. You'll hear that a lot from us in PRM that uh, will require pilots to trade in their old paper flight certificate uh, for a new plastic one. Uh, that's within two years of the rules being made final. Uh, it's five years for other airman certificates like uh, uh, maintenance mechanics, CFIs, and so forth. Uh, regulation is going to be mandatory at the end of that two-year grace period. You're going to have to have a plastic uh, license or pilot certificate or you won't be legal. Uh, the uh, rule as proposed will also change the notification requirements in the event that you sell an aircraft or transfer ownership of an aircraft, that you got to do that within five days. Of course, uh, most of these changes uh, boil back to uh, uh, security concerns uh, post-911. Uh, it's already possible to get a plastic pilot certificate from the FAA, uh, you can uh, write them and request a replacement for your paper one. Uh, it'll cost you two bucks. Or you can write them and request that you get a new one that doesn't use your social security number and get it for free. Uh, the most puzzling part of this is that, uh, uh, you know, Congress and the Department of Homeland Security have been really anxious for uh, uh, pilot certificates to have a photo uh, aspect to them to help identify that the pilot showing it actually matches the uh, certificate authorizing the, the, the flyer. And uh, current rules allow the use of a matching driver's license to full, fulfill the photo ID requirement. But there's still a lot of interest and a lot of pressure in making the pilot certificate a photo ID as well. So the FAA has also noted that it will issue another NPRM, quote, in the near future, close quote, to include a photograph on pilot certificates. Uh, not to bash anybody. <laughs> okay. Do it, whatever, do it quickly, though. Does think that there's a little bit of insanity in uh, first issuing a notice of proposed rulemaking that sets a deadline for converting to the plastic pilot certificate, as only 45% of us have yet to do, and, uh, and in saying in some time downstream, we're going to issue another rule requiring you to replace it again so that you get a picture on your pilot's license. So... Uh, I'll leave the uh, the debate on that to another day and smarter people than us. It's just one of those little, one of those little niggling things that jumps out at you and makes you go, "What?" <laughs> another another inconsistency. Yeah, Jeb, any uh, any last uh, item from you? Uh, no, uh, just to comment on this uh, this plastic certificate. Um, uh, for uh, other countries uh, have for years had a much more elaborate. Uh, uh, process and a much more elaborate certificate uh, denoting whether or not or denoting one's uh, pilot certificate and privileges and, and ratings. Um, the FAA, for any number of reasons, for years has, has stuck with the paper certificate, lacking a photo. Um, since, of course, 9-11, uh, the required that a photo ID, a state-issued photo ID be carried. Um, 
it's not at all clear how uh, um, 600,000 pilots around the country would go about getting their photos and, and getting them to the FAA for lamination and all this kind of thing. Probably do it in some fashion associated with uh, passport photos or, or have a medical examiner snap a, uh, an image while uh, uh, getting their uh, medical certificate renewed. But, but you get the EKG uh, it, and your photo ID all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's probably a, an overdue step. I, I I can't say that I would embrace it, but uh, um, depending on how much it might cost me out of my pocket, I'll probably go ahead and, and uh, do it sooner than rather than later. I already had the uh, Social Security number removed from my paper certificate years ago, uh, and I'm not eligible for that free upgrade. So I I still have a little piece of cardboard that I carry around and. Uh, uh, still has, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, Jane Garvey's signature on it, actually, the last time I got a new rating or something. So, ah, collector's uh, edition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually got mine. Uh, I got the plastic version of mine. Um, at I signed up for it at Oshkosh last summer. They, I, uh, I think they waive the $2 if you, yes, if, if yeah. you request it while at AirVenture, um, and perhaps at other big events as well. I don't know whether, you know, but... Uh, that someone might, if you really want to save the two dollars, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, well, all right. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, uh, good to talk with you again, uh, Dave Higdon. Uh, you funny. can learn more about Dave and his work at DaveHigdon.com, and Jeb uh, at AviationSafetyMagazine.com or AvWeb.com. I'm Jack Hodgson, JackHodgson.com, uh, and of course, you can always uh, uh, learn more about the the uh, podcast at UncontrolledAirspace.com. Check out in there uh, soon and send us more feedback. We want to hear from, more from you. Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to you again next time. Shiny side up, pilots. <laughs>